If you didn't already know, I am happy to inform you that I am the world's official, unofficial tennis influencer. You might be asking yourself, what? Really? I thought she said she was an exec or a singer, a CBD influencer. Now this bitch is telling me that she's a tennis influencer? Well, yes, that is what I'm telling you. And yes, it is true. My mom played tennis in what felt like every single day when I was a kid. She loved it. She would always watch Wimbledon on TV and was so into it. She even sold tennis and golf clothes out of our house. I called my brother to verify this memory of mine because I didn't know if it was actually true or if I had like somehow fever dreamed it. Richard, am I hallucinating or did mom sell tennis and golf clothes out of our house? No, you're totally not hallucinating. And I would have forgotten about this as you never mentioned it. But <laughs> mom, mom absolutely had a it was like clothing and accessories type side hustle. And it was called drop shots, I think. Oh, my God. It was. Do you remember named after the notorious deadly game finishing tricky shot in tennis, obviously, because that's clever. But like, what was that? What, like, what happened with that? I can only imagine like every like housewife side hustle Tupperware type pyramid scheme. I'm not saying it was pyramid scheme. I think mom did it on her own, but I guess it probably was more work than it was worth. Um, and she probably exhausted all of her friends side incomes on stuff, but I don't, that's all I really remember about that. I honestly done. I would have forgotten about it if you'd never brought it up. Okay. I'm glad that was all cleared up. But tennis was definitely a part of my orbit, as you heard and as you're about to hear. I attended a few camps here and there, but I think I knew in the back of my mind that my tennis career wasn't supposed to happen at that age. It was really going to happen in like 30 years. The biggest news in town, though, when I was in eighth grade was that Andre Agassi and Steffi Graf had bought a house right in the heart of Tiburon. I knew where they lived, on top of the most beautiful hill where I would walk my dog and smoke bowls. I had been to the house actually before a rich girl named Jane, her dad bought it when the house was originally built and it was insane. Like obviously tennis courts, but a pool, unobstructed views of the Golden Gate Bridge. It was sick. Word on the street is that Andre actually wanted to buy the house when Jane's dad bought the house, but Brooke Shields, who he was married to at the time, didn't like Tiburon, which is insane because if you do yourself a favor and you Google Tiburon, honestly, it's like the most beautiful place on the planet. I'm a little biased, but honestly, it is gorgeous. Anyway, that summer, I got to watch him play, which was amazing. I knew in that moment, even at like 13 and probably stoned, that I was watching something super special, super important, and a fun fact that I would drop at like Indian Wells in the US Open 30 years later. I can't remember how Renee Stubbs landed on my previous podcast. I feel like she DM'd me and asked to come on the show, but I think she thinks that I DM'd her and asked to be on the show. It doesn't really matter because I fell in love with Renee when she was a guest. Um, I think we flirted the entire time, but nevertheless, we have become incredibly close friends. Renee is amazing. She is a four-time Grand Slam winner, Olympian. She's a commentator on ESPN, and you might 
recognize her because most recently she coached Serena for her last two weeks at the U.S. Open, which is pretty awesome. Renee and I, I, I mean, we talk like pretty much almost every single day and we've become so close that I now stay with her when I go to New York instead of saying with my family, which is sort of crazy. And I've got to apologize to her. Um, I would also like to publicly say, I don't know if this is going to make the episode. Maybe it will. I'm very sorry for being a slopopotamus at your house. Oh, my God. That's like saying that's putting it mildly. Um, I have like a little two story. No, it's not big um, apartment in New York. And so my my bedroom is downstairs in the basement and um, I have a little what would we call it? A little nook, a little mezzanette. Um, it's on like my a second. loft. Yeah, it's loft. like a little loft um, that has to be accessed by a small ladder that is a quite dangerous. Steep. A dangerous ladder. Well, yeah, it's dangerous when you're drunk or you have socks on. And uh, <laughs> I'm fairly certain you didn't have socks on. So you came no. home one night at about three in the morning while I was working at the US Open, mind you, like getting up at seven in the morning and you come home at like three. And I hear this bang, crash, 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 bang, bang. And I thought, is that Liz? No, it's just all my shit falling down. And then I waited for you to fall from the ladder and hear an excruciating scream, but you didn't. So I figured you made it up the stairs, which I have to say, I'm impressed. Thank you. That you got up there considering you were fucking drunk as. And yeah. I woke up in the morning at 6.30 to go to work and I discovered the absolute disaster that you had left behind. I mean, it was interesting. I managed to pick it all up very quietly while not waking you up, although you may have been awake and just refused to acknowledge my presence <laughs> or your own presence. <laughs> I woke up with no pants on and was like, oh, okay. I will also say that this was after Leah McSweeney's 40th birthday mm -hmm. where we had gotten a private tour out on the water and got to see you know, the Statue of Liberty and I was with Kelly Catrone. It was a night. It was a night to remember and I don't remember it. Yeah, well, I remember the only thing I saw on your Insta story at that time, because I don't know why I was looking on Instagram at that time, because I'm obsessed, but I saw your, <laughs> your story and you were sh doing shots of tequila at like 8 p.m. Yeah. So I was like, and I wrote to you and I said, oh boy, because I knew what that night was going to be. It yeah, was going to be bad. sloppy and you were, but I managed to clean it all up. You would have no fucking idea what had happened and you probably got up in the morning and thought, oh, that wasn't so bad. I didn't do it wasn't bad at all. Kind of. It was bad. And it was bad. Well, anyway, um, I'm really sorry. I'll never do it again. I'm mortified. And um, it's okay. I feel like if I keep talking about it, it'll lose the power. But speaking of that week mm. and speaking about the last couple, really weeks, month that you've had, you just coached Serena during her last lap mm. in her career and the U.S. Open. Mm. What did you learn about yourself oh, wow. during that time? Um, what did I learn about myself? I, I think I learned that I could handle a very um, public um, moment in sporting time um, and not be overawed by it, I guess. Um, that, you know, when Serena sort of, I mean, was sort of asking me for a little bit of help um, in the last two weeks of her career, I thought, okay, um, am I up to do this in a way that's going to benefit her? And, I mean, you have to kind of have some some cojones to think that you can actually help someone like her. Um, so I guess, I don't know. I think I learned that I'm pretty good at what I say and do. Um, and I think I made a difference and I think I helped her actually play quite well in that last period of her career. 
Um, I don't know. I think I'm probably learned that I'm a positive influence over even people like her. So I don't know. I feel like I'm tooting my own horn, but no, but you you should. I mean, last night over margaritas and bad margaritas, terrible margaritas, not made with fresh lime. Even though you asked for fresh lime, <sighs> for the second one, I know. And I was like, don't let me drop the like real crazy order on him. But no. Rachel and I, you know, we are your unofficial managers now yep. because my are, agents were your agents. But no, I think you also led with, you know, positivity and love, which in her career, you know, I don't know how much I, I think she's had a lot of positivity and a lot of love. But from a coaching angle, it's probably been a lot of discipline and a lot of intensity. And like you said, it's like, what can you bring and I think you, what I love about you, one of the many things, is that you're a ride or die bitch. Mm, yeah. And that you are a positive, like, force. And I think sometimes at certain times in people's lives, we need different energies and different things to surround them. And I think you were like, no, like, she knows how to hit a fucking tennis ball. Yeah. But maybe it's about, you know, giving her a different energy as she goes out. Yeah. I mean, listen, she has a documentary that's going to come out sometime next year and it, it, they've been filming her for three years apparently and so um they had me mic'd like the whole time at oh the really US Open. yeah my mic i'm mic'd the entire time like on the practice court on the match court. there's I'm, your sag card i mean i honestly that <laughs> yes i never thought we about that about yes. last night there's your fucking sag card. there's my sag card but i honestly i when I was mic'd the whole time, I was like, oh, Jesus. Like, I, I mean, sometimes I'm not so PC. I mean, are any of us? Although, God, I better watch what I say about anyone or anything. But in the end, you like forget the mics on you and you just do, you know, your job essentially at that time, which was to tell Serena Williams what to do, which is kind of crazy. But my biggest thing you'll hear, hopefully in the doco, is that I'm just constantly like being positive with her and I'm yelling at her about being positive. Like, I'm like, you know, you're great. That's amazing. Well done. That's awesome. And you think you really have to tell the greatest player of all time, like that they're great. Yeah, guess what? Because mm -hmm. sometimes even the best need to hear that they're great still. So I think that that was just my focus the whole time. Nothing negative, only positive. Let go of the negative. Let go of missing a shot. Talk about how great that last one was. And, you know, she just, she fought it. I got to tell you, I could tell her she, like, there was one time where she's like, I just want to break a racket. <laughs> She literally said that to me at one point on a practice court. And I'm like, okay. And she actually did break that racket that day, but she was going through a lot that I didn't know about at the time. Like her dog had died that day. Like which this, is like, yeah, which on. was terrible. So, you know, I didn't know any of that until the later that night and the next day, or like all the shit that she was actually going through that day. But yeah, I mean, it was just positive, positive, positive the whole time. And it is crazy to think that someone is that great needs to hear that, but you'll be surprised how everybody needs that i mean like you said like love and support well it wouldn't be my show if we didn't talk about like gay stuff okay let, you know why not because you're gay and i'm gay well and when I and ravioli's here so ravioli's gay actually i think ravioli is straight ravioli are you straight she's uh, she's a dog house literally um when i first interviewed you we talked about your relationship with lisa your doubles partner coming out as you know what i mean a young person in tennis with all eyes on you obviously social media wasn't really god thank god thank god right seriously but and there's a lot of out lesbians in tennis mm. a lot of leses i les would also say you're like america's coach but also the coach of the lesbians i'm coach of the gays well, okay. Because the gays love me. The gays do love you, but like, where are the gay men in tennis? 
um, hiding in a closet. Why? Is it the like masculinity issue in sports? Because you see in American football, tons of these thicky, thicky little blind backers are coming out all over the damn. They are, though. They are literally coming out all the time. Well, because would you say anything to a thicky thick? Like, would you be would you harass somebody like that? Probably not. So that's also in a team environment, like if his team accepts him, then you feel safe, right? I mean, so, I mean, even if other teams or other crowds or, you know, when you go away and you play in a different, if you're from, you're playing for Green Bay and you play in Minnesota and they're like yelling shit at you. It's like, yeah, it's what you expect, but you have your team around you. That's like, dude, don't worry about that. Like, we love you. No problem. Whereas when you're a tennis player, you're out there by yourself. And so I think you can, a team needs you, right? If they've, recruited you to play for them they need you and they're going to pay you no matter what whereas a tennis player especially a successful one maybe you won't get that sponsorship maybe you'll get embarrassed maybe you'll be ostracized you don't know how people are going to react i mean having said that guys hello it's 2022 you're going to be fine like come out of the closet but also i just think about the fan base alone i mean obviously tennis is having such a moment as the world's biggest tennis influencer i know this yes intimately Mm. you know Mm. um but no, I mean, but really, everyone is so into tennis right now. If, as you know, when you went and did ambush tennis yep. here in Los Angeles, it's like tons of gays playing tennis. Tons of gays. And I just feel like the, the fan base is so loyal, strong because of all the things that you said. Like we are their team in some way, but it, there is this lack of gay male presence, mm. which makes me question, is tennis gay? Um... I mean, I don't know. That's a good question. But there are enough gays that play, play tennis that it is gay. I mean, wow. Like when I, t- I mean, although I was in West Hollywood. So hello. Fair enough. But, but having said that, yes, they're absolutely a gay guys, but they always come out once they've done, they've retired. Like Brian Verhaley, who was a very good American tennis player and Jan Michael Gamble and all these types of players that come out when they've retired, which is sad in my opinion. So it'll happen one time. So much soon. dick that they're missing. I. Because the fucking fans, could you imagine? I think they're probably getting enough of it on the DL. But having said that, guys, like, if you are gay, you will be supported. So come out and you will have a ton of fan base around you. And who cares? I mean, honestly, at this point in time, like, get get over yourself. You'll be okay. But it's still, you you know how hard it is. It's not easy. For women, it's a lot more, it's a lot easier in, in sports. But for guys, not so much. Um, I don't know. That's a question only to ask somebody like a Brian Verhaley or Jan Michael Gamble, like, why didn't you come out when you were playing? I guess. So when Renee mentions Brian, I obviously have to track him down. It literally feels like to me there are no gay men in tennis. And I feel like tennis is very gay. So this is crazy to me. She does me a solid and gets me Brian's email. And while I'm waiting for him to reply to my very direct and cold email... I Google, literally, are there gay men in professional tennis? And an article pops up about a panel that was hosted by Nick McCarvel. I email him too. Thank you, Nick, for having your email so clear in your Twitter bio. And my thinking is like, if I don't hear from Brian, at least I have Nick, hopefully. And I have to have a man's perspective on this show. To my luck, they both hit me back. I set up a call with Brian first. Now retired from professional tennis, Brian is a father to twins, and he is currently the vice president at the USTA, which 
is a very big deal. And he goes on to tell me about what it's like being known as the only out gay man in professional tennis and his life now. Thank you for responding to my cold email. (laughs) (laughs) Happy to be here. I was like, let me get straight to the point here and hope to God he responds to me. Though I have been known to write a very good cold email. Just like, because, you know, these days it could be spam. It could be like a scammer. (laughs) (laughs) It's fine. You know all the right people. It's good. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Well, you know... I guess the first thing I should ask is just right to the point, like, why are there no gay men in tennis? (laughs) I mean, it's a question I get asked. I think really, if you look at sports um, and I can obviously only speak to tennis, but I've heard about it in other sports. um, You know, there's a pretty a lot of homophobic remarks sort of start at a very young age, whether that be through from coaches, whether it's other players. And if you are. You know, I think everybody figures out their sexuality at different times. For me, it was much later in life. So I didn't necessarily attach to those comments, but it's not a very welcoming environment. You know, through a lot of your like junior days growing up, certainly, you know, in college and afterwards. So you've got to be pretty tough and to sort of stick that out a little bit. So I think that's probably one thing that makes it hard. I also think, secondly, a lot of people don't come out because, or maybe for family reasons, religious reasons, or other. So, um, you know, maybe that's a reason as well, but everybody's got their story a little bit behind it, but I'm, I'm hopeful it'll change as people's words change as, um, I don't know, just the culture in general sort of shifts. I think people will get more comfortable being themselves. Don't you feel like of all the sports, I mean, I guess there's ice skating, which I'm, I'm, let's, that's a different, that's really a performance art with sports really, Mm -hmm. but like tennis is pretty gay. Like, don't you think, you know, I said to Renee, I'm like, Oh my God, if I was like a hot gay man like you or a hot man like you, I would just be like, I mean, what an audience, what a dedicated audience to have while you're playing professionally or otherwise. I don't know. I mean, I I say it in jest, but it's sort of like tennis is one of those. It's such an a beautiful and for lack of a better word, like manicured sport, it lends mm-hmm. itself, I feel like, to the gay. It can be great. I mean, people would describe Federer as graceful, right? Like that's not right. something you would use in basketball, football, like some of these other like the main sports in the States. So, you know, I people to me always experience tennis as a very privileged sport yeah. where everybody's just really smart, you know, and it's just this hyper educated, graceful sport. And I will tell you, Having lived it and played it, it's a pretty athletic and rough sport. So I think as you move up the ladder, that sort of doesn't happen as much. I would say, you know, not everybody's the most educated in the game. A lot of people, you know, pull out of school early, but I don't think it's... Listen, do I think more gay people play tennis in the like rec leagues and things like that? Is it a more approachable sport? I think so, yes. And certainly I'm trying to do that on the USTA side, but... I'm not sure that in general it feels like it's not like when I'm going and playing tennis, do I more apt to see gay people, I guess? I don't know. need to come to the courts in West Hollywood. Well, I mean, I'm sure that it all depends on the city. It's gay everywhere. Um, (laughs) When did you sort of kind of begin to think that perhaps you could be gay? Was that you said it was later on in life? Were you already fully pro at that point? Or yeah, I was already fully pro. I mean, I had girlfriends through college and even after college. And, you know, I honestly just didn't 
allow myself to think about it. So maybe I was around attractive men. Maybe I was, you know, hanging out in that crowd, not necessarily of gay people, because I really didn't know gay people. And frankly, when I met them, I thought to myself, I have nothing in common with you. <laughs> so while I may think that guy is good looking, like, I, like I'm not doing that. Right. So um, it took me till much later in life, probably like mid to late 20s before okay. I was sort of like, wow, this could be a thing. And it sort of, you know, you slowly start to experiment with it and dance a little bit. I was always really jealous of my friends now who like knew at five, six, seven, eight years old. I'm like, wow, I had like I had no idea. And whether that was because of religion, whether that was because of sport, but like I didn't think about it. Yeah, I guess I, I was dreaming you like, you know, having your big moment in the sun and tennis paradise, Indian Wells, and then like tripping off to downtown Palm Springs afterward and just like living your best life, you know? Well, it's, I mean, listen, I'm sure it's even worse today. Thank God I had no social media, but you know, you would never take the risk of exploring right. that. So the risk would have been catastrophic, especially in those days of like the Ellen world of like, you make that decision, you get caught as being gay. Like, congratulations, your life is over and your career's over. Yeah. You know, sponsorships are gone. Everything's gone. So like it wouldn't, that would be such a stupid move having worked on my sport since I was two years old to be in my twenties. Like I'm going to put 20 years in to finally be a professional athlete. And I'm going to give that up to like, go hook up, like no chance. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the risk not worth the reward. So even again, mentally, it's like, it's not worth thinking about. How does it feel watching like someone like Renee, like out very gay, <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> the gayest, Renee, so, sure. so gay. But, you know, coaching Serena, like coaching Sam, being on tour, we talked about a little bit the fact that she's like on tour with Sam and Liz and Evie, like this mm -hmm. lesbian family that's super out. What is it like for you on the other side? Do you ever like scratch your head like, holy shit, I can't believe that happened in such a truncated time? Because it hasn't been that long since you've been playing professionally. Yeah, no, for sure. And listen, I'm still around the US Open. I'm still of around course. the court. So like I see that world. But I will say like the women are so much further ahead of us, right? Like you had Nebratilova, Billie Jean, like all these people pushing these walls down in like the early 80s. And now 40 years later, we are at a point where there's a lesbian coaching Serena Williams in her last match. And there's a whole lesbian group that's comfortable and out. Like we are not even at an active player actually <laughs> being <laughs> out, you know, like I'm the only one ever and I'm just involved, you know, sort of on the USTA side of the house. Like I didn't come out till six or seven years on a, you know, a podcast with, with John Wardheim. So God damn you know, it, John, I wish it had been me. I'm just uh, he's, <laughs> it was good. I was, you know, and frankly, honestly, one of the main reasons they did come out so publicly that way was just because of having kids. I mean, that just changes your perspective a little bit. I didn't feel like I owed anything to the sport. You know, it was a sport that I couldn't be myself in. So why do I necessarily need to go and come out and be this sort of person to lead the way there? So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a long time before you've got like a, a group of gay guys all together out there supporting another male athlete or female athlete. I mean, we're not even in the ballpark right now. No. Okay. No. I feel all right. And would you with that said, there are former players that are gay you know, in their private life that, you know, would be great if they were maybe a little bit more outspoken about it. But I understand their desire to sort of take a backseat. Do you guys have like a secret like group chat? We've got a secret, a secret uh, text exchange. <laughs> <laughs> You're like on, you know, WhatsApp so that it's not. Yes, it's got to be encrypted. It's encrypted. Exactly. Yes.
we talked right before we were recording that you're now vice president at USTA, which is like yep. major. <laughs> Do they ever talk about like being open and, you know, being welcoming to the gay community? Is there a way that you could like infiltrate that message somehow? Yeah, no, I mean, we talk about it more. I think the question is like, how do you, you know, when you have these large organizations, it's all sort of like baby steps in the right direction. So Nick McCarville, I don't know if you know him, you know, we worked together to do a pride event four years ago at the open. Then we did one, you know, in 2019, which is with Billie Jean King, Jason Collins, Adam Rapone, Billy Bean, like just other sports figures a little bit. Then we go into 20, we start using signage. Now, starting in 21, we actually have a Pride Day at the Open. First of all, why have I not been invited to the Pride (laughs) Night? You are more than welcome to join me next time. My boys um, did the coin toss. Uh, Yeah, the last Serena and Venus match. My boys were out there doing um, the coin toss for the match. It's super cute. But, you know, there now we're starting about it. But listen, some of this stuff becomes performative. As you know, it's like we acknowledge, you know, Everybody wants to speak to me in June and, you know, maybe on the pride night, but it's like, how do you actually make a community feel accepted and understood and welcomed? And to me, that's an inclusive piece that we got a long way to go on. But the reason I'm trying to move up in leadership is to make tennis more diverse. So it's not as uh, gay sounding as you make it. Who's somebody that you never played that you wish you played? Just a fun question. Um, Probably Nadal. Federer, I got to play in the juniors. Um, Nadal, we were always in the same environment, but never, we never got to get on the court with each other. So that would have been really fun to me. But a lot of the other ones, like practiced a lot with Sampras, played Agassi a few times, played Chang. Um, so that generation, I got a chance to play, but Nadal. That's a casual played. flex. I know. <laughs> Fair enough. I know. It all comes back to Andre. Always, always. He was the best. Um, but no, it's, listen. You weren't attracted sport. to play. You weren't attracted to Andre Agassi. No, 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 like, no, no. Oh, no. come on. No, right? no, 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 no. It's hard to explain. This is what's so annoying about my gay friends that'll ask. So like, what did you, who were you attracted to? What do you think? These are coworkers who I'm, who are trying to, in theory, take my titles and take my money. <laughs> now, did I win any titles? You know, no, but they're the, they're the, they're the enemy. And like my brain, when you're in competitive modes, like I am not, walking around with a sexual brain when I'm out there trying to compete. I'm trying to kill. I'm trying to win. I'm trying to like, it's just my, it's hard to explain to people who haven't been through it, but I'm telling you, you're not having romantic thoughts walking into a highly stressful, fair enough, competitive environment. It's just not the moment. Now you can look back in your career and say, Oh wow, that person was good looking. But like, when I was out there competing, not once, just not. Just that dangly earring. I just, <laughs> I'm just saying, I think it would be tough. And here, I will tell you this right now, like Nadal, like that, that butt is like beyond. It's like, can you just, he's like shaking around like a tail feather. Like it's like out of control. Most tennis players have large butts. There's no way around it. I know it's so weird. Um, so do I. And I'm a mediocre. <laughs> What's your excuse? Yeah, exactly. My excuse is. Nothing. Um, <laughs> Brian, you're a dream. I can't thank you enough for giggling with me and being so open and also very um, hard on me. I really appreciate that. I mm-hmm. like that you didn't let anything slide. <laughs> <laughs> and I hope to see you at Pride 2023. Pride 2023 at the Open. Usually the first Wednesday or Thursday night of the week. So. You guys know how busy I am between the podcast, work, the dog, seeing my friends. It's a lot. All of a sudden, I found myself drinking like 
three to four coffees a day and then getting horrible caffeine jitters, which is honestly all bad. I tried a new energy enhancing supplement that I love called PlantWise MindSpark. And I reached out to them because it was so effective. And now they are sponsors of Cool, Cool, Cool. If you want to get the most out of every single day and turn up your energy and productivity, try MindSpark at GetPlantWise.com. They even gave me a code. All you got to do is type in Listen to Liz 20 and get 20% off. I do love it when I speak to someone and then somebody else gets mentioned in conversation and then I get to hunt <laughs> that person down. And you responded to what <laughs> is actually known in the industry as a famous Liz Cully cold email. <laughs> I didn't know they were famous. So They're I'm pretty famous. Part of the thing, to be honest. <laughs> well, you know, I think it's because when I started in my career many, many years ago, I always got like the really yeah. bad stories, like the really shitty ones that like no one wanted to cover. And they're like, you have to go and talk to like the city commissioner. You know, when I worked as in journalism, like you have to go talk to this person. I'd be like, fuck. And I'd have to call them and be like, hi, my name's Liz Coley. I'm a, a you know, I'm an assistant. And I just was wondering if you had a few minutes of your time. Exactly. Oh, I, I know those I know those cold calls. <laughs> but what was fun about you is you were mentioned by Renee, but then I went and Googled gay men in tennis and you popped up. Wow. I mean, am I in tennis? I don't know, but I am a gay man. So at least Google got half of it right. <laughs> well, and you're a commentator and you've been covering tennis yes, for quite some enough. time. Yes. And before we started recording, you, I said to you, I said, well, I found you because you were hosting a panel. It looked like also with a, not just gay men, but queer folks in mm -hmm. tennis. And you've done several of them. Could we say that you're like single-handedly trying to bring to light <laughs> queers in tennis? Well, I mean, in 2018, Brian Vahaley and I did that first panel. So maybe that was the one you found. I'm not sure which one, Liz. But um, US Open 2018, I had connected with Caitlin Thompson. I had chatted with Renee. And I was like, you know what? Let's do something queer-facing that also intersects with tennis. And initially, Renee was going to be part of that panel. It didn't work out scheduling why she is. She is the busiest person in tennis. And so we got Brian on board and Brian had never spoken publicly about being gay. He had certainly done the interview with John Wertheim on Sports Illustrated. I think it was in the podcast, in the magazine or digitally. And then I said, hey, you know, come up from D.C. Let's do this panel. I'll, I'll be the end all be all event organizer of it. And in the meantime, I also got Casey Delacqua to be a part of it because she was coming up from Australia. She had just retired. And she was going to be in New York. So it was the perfect way to bring together this conversation of queer people in tennis with Brian and Casey, who are both uh, like standout human beings, not to mention what they've done for queer representation in tennis. And really, Liz, for me, it, it was trying to, all the time, I think we look at certain issues and topics and people say, well, what's happening here? Why isn't anyone doing X? Why isn't this, you know, like, that sort of bullshit. And I was like, well, let's do a panel. Let's just, and it wasn't anything, you know, we didn't change the shape of queer tennis by any means. That was four years ago, but it was a good starting point. We had 200 people at the Housing Works bookstore in Soho 
it was a great energy. And then we also had a couple um, tennis drag queens showed up and we played tennis bingo, which was amazing. But it was just another opportunity. I think the GLTA and a lot of the grassroots tennis organizations do a great job for, for people playing the sport. But, you know, the, the lesbian and queer female representation has been so strong in the WTA and in pro women's tennis, pro women's sports for so long. And it was my chance as a, uh, you know, queer man in tennis, as you say, to try to start that conversation in one way or another. And then since I've done four other panels and I've tried to make each of them a little bit different so that the conversation feels a little bit different and you're not just in this hamster wheel of, I did a panel, look at me, I'm, look at this panel, right. actually trying to move the conversation forward. But I can't imagine it wouldn't be like an amazing thing to be. And that by thing, I mean a hot gay man playing professional tennis. I mean, I, I just feel <laughs> right. Well, I think I, I won't disagree with you, but I think two things on that. I think when you look at tennis is so gay, my first reaction is to agree with you, because I think for so many young, you know, queer identifying men, including myself as boys, I played tennis, I loved tennis, but I also saw it as a venue for strong women to excel and look at, you know, what Billie Jean King and the WTA and the original nine set up for that generation, the generations that have come. But I think for a lot of gay men, if you actually ask the non-Brian Vahaley's of the queer world, tennis is so gay because we were allowed to see these queens and princesses dancing on a stage that was an athletic court. It was tennis. And I think that we see it. I cover figure skating. I've covered four Olympics. You see it in gymnastics as well, is especially as young men, gay men are for us to look up to someone. Oftentimes it wasn't going to be the NFL team. It wasn't going to be the Philadelphia 76ers or the Nashville Predators. I don't even know if that's, I think that's the team. I think Um, the Predators are like, I don't know. Is it Nashville Predators? I don't know. I'll I'll bet you a five. I'll bet you a five. (laughs) I'll bet you a cocktail. (laughs) Yeah, a five dollar cocktail. But I think the biggest thing for me as a reporter and a commentator who has moved through the space for the last close to 10 years as an out queer male in the sport is that there still is that sort of hetero masculinity sort of the locker room is what it is. And you can have people like Roger Federer, Novak Djokovic, Nick Kyrgios, they have all come out and spoken in support of having an out queer player, athlete, man on the ATP tour. But when it comes to the X's and O's, you know, it's not going to be, I think oftentimes the fanfic is, well, what if Rafa's gay? Well, it's not going to be Rafa. It's going to be a player ranked 60th or mm-hmm. 600 or 422. And they have sponsorships to deal with, sure. But they also, Liz, have to worry about their personal mental health, how they feel they're being treated in the locker room, what coaches are going to work with them, how are they developing friendships, how are they making sure they're not lonely when they travel all over the world. So is it easier to open up Grinder and have something on the side once or twice every couple months? I don't even know if someone's living that existence. If they are, more power to them. But the harder thing is the unknown. Life is always harder when it's the unknown. And we have not seen someone be fully functional out on the ATP tour. And that is the what whoever, whoever holds that candle, whoever's the one that steps through that door has to be so certain of themselves because they don't have a team to back them because they're not on the Predators, because they're not Jason Collins who would come out and say to his team, hey, this is who I am. 
and have his team back him up. You don't have a team. You might have a coach, but if you're, if you're lower ranked, you've got a coach that you've worked with for a few weeks or that you only see once a month because you've got to go to Europe to play six clay challengers on a you know, $5,000 budget. So yep. uh, I, think the, I think the living on an island, to me, that's been the biggest thing that's floated to the top when it comes to a male feeling strong enough in his personal self to feel like he can come out and face all of face a lot of different things, but face all of what comes with it. If I'm being honest with you, I was not satisfied with Nick and Brian's explanation as to why there are no gay men in tennis. I just, there had to be another answer. I asked my dear friend, collaborator, and what sometimes feels like my wife, Caitlin Thompson, who I met through Renee, who is the co-founder of Racket. Caitlin is so smart and as I have now become a frequent collaborator and contributor at Racket, I know that she knows pretty much everything there is to know about tennis, and I knew she was going to give me at least a different perspective that might help me wrap my head around the fact that there are no gay men in tennis. Caitlin, please agree with me that tennis is gay. Tennis is so gay. I've been having a difficult time getting people to agree with me on that. Men or women? Men. And here's the thing. It's interesting because I think, generally speaking, white cis men, regardless of their sexual orientation, typically lead everything, right? Like they're the first in anything. (laughs) It's a a white man's world and we're living in it. But it's interesting because in tennis, it really feels like queer women are leading the charge in visibility and representation and gay men are not and gay white men are even not which is typically rare yeah i mean as a lesbian i don't know if i want to speak for all of us but i do feel like typically if you read or encounter culture that's termed gay and now queer typically it's still men leading the conversation And unless something specifically is carved out to not be that, that's the default. And I think you're right. Tennis is decidedly not that. Queer women have led for ever. They've led on pretty much every frontier since the sport's been around. And I have a lot of ideas as to why. And as a matter of fact, I had an incredibly in-depth and recent conversation about philosophically why I think that's true. So I'm ready to like come with some theory to you, but I think it's true. And I think I'm not surprised to hear that women agree with you and men don't necessarily see it. Racket really embodies now what I hope and what I think you hope is the future of tennis, right? It's like queer, it's black and brown, it's female identifying led, you know, even if when you... national, it's socioeconomically all over the map. All of those things. It's not just about the pro game that focuses on elite athletes. It's about the recreational game that can accommodate kids to, you know, super seniors, as they call them. My grandmother taught me how to play. Tennis for me has always been a bigger world than what we've been able to experience or see, certainly on TV or, or within the sort of sports own storytelling. So that is exactly right. I see the future as being something that kind of always has been the case. We're just trying to 
expand people's definitions of it and show that it's not only important to talk about all of the rest of it, but also like fun and cool and interesting, which it is. Obviously, it's Obviously. fun and cool. Um, what is it going to take for somebody on tour that is male identifying and gay to come out? I mean, a big conversation with everyone I've had in this particular episode has been that, you know, because tennis is more of a singular sport, right? You don't have the team members to support you and say, no, it's okay that they're gay. However, I have felt as I have thrusted myself upon the tennis community in the last, you know, year or so or whatever it is, it's a quite welcoming place. I mean, listen, have I like fucking thrown some bows to get up in here? Sure have. Not going to stop. But it's a pretty welcoming place. And it's a small place. It's a small community, actually. It's not it's not vast. There aren't a million teams with 50 people on them. So what do you think it's going to take to get a gay man out on tour? I think the amount of gay men we've had on tour has been larger and in terms of star power way more impactful than we realize um but they're not out nope they're not out and i had a very specific conversation with a gay man yesterday who was talking about how much he got into tennis because of women as many gay men do um and we talked about why and how that might be and why that was such a common thing and he was asking me the same question and he being a similarly coastal elite you know educated person who comes from another industry in this case modeling he runs a modeling agency uh was talking about how it was such a no-brainer that an out gay man would be a incredible boon to sponsors an incredible storyline for anybody trying to promote the game an incredibly you know sort of like frankly not cynically but pragmatically lucrative opportunity a hundred percent involved a hundred percent And you and I sit here and we're like, duh, every single person would benefit so incredibly profoundly from that to be the case that you'd think if anybody was openly, if anybody was gay, they would be open. But I had a theory, which was basically like, not that there's tons of sort of Eastern European powers that be in the game where, you know, from places in the world where gay and lesbian and other identifying athletes are less accepted, although sure, but mainly the agents are the ones who are the most cynical and the most regressive. And in the case of this superstar athlete who is very credibly rumored to be gay, that's all I'm gonna say about him, but he could not be a bigger star. The agent is, if he was gonna come out, the agent would never have let it happen. And most of these agents are the lowest common denominator, relatively uneducated, extremely short-term, not at all progressive. And I mean progressive in every sense of the word, not only politically, but just in terms of, oh, what an incredible narrative we could craft. What an incredibly medium to long-term sort of success plan I could put together. They don't think in the medium and long-term. They're literally thinking, ah, that one contract negotiation would not happen the way that I know how to do it because I've never dealt with this before, nor has anybody else. And it's much easier for me to continue business as usual. So I actually don't necessarily think it's at the feet of the players. Although if there was a player who was insistent, I think it would happen. But I think the players 
generally, and again, I'm speaking about most of the professional tennis playing athletes that I've been around, most of them are so binary, mm-hmm. not multifaceted and not particularly cultured or really in conversation with the larger world because that's not, those aren't things that help them be better professional tennis players. If you find one who's like that, they're an anomaly because most other people would see that as a distraction. They only really talk to like their parents, their agents, and maybe one or two other people. And so they're truly in this little micro bubble. And if you've got the person who makes you all the money telling you that he, and it usually is a he, can't imagine what that would look like, even though you and I could, I think the solution is we just got to get into the game being agents. So keep the elbows coming and just like end up signing. Oh, here's the solution. Oh my God. I, I can't think of anything. Well, I actually think I'd be a really good agent. I know you would. <laughs> but you know, you'd, I, you'd be amazing at it. You would I mean, be so I, I would, up everyone's ass. You would just be un, you'd be visionary. You would you'd revolutionize the game. The game well, doesn't deserve you. I mean, thank you. I mean, I'm essentially my own agent, and that is exhausting as it is. But <laughs> yeah, that's such an interesting perspective. And that's why I wanted to talk to you because you know, I think the blanket answer that is a valid answer and it's a real answer is fear sure. and that it's and that it's really tied to losing sponsorships and perhaps you know familial relationships etc but i think it is an interesting um perspective that you have and that you know knowledge that you bring about that it is really the camps and the people that are around and honestly if we really like think about it it's always the fucking agent and manager that's just destroying these people all the time they're destroying them because they're so incentivized to do the short-term deal that's good for the agency that they're reporting to not the athlete and i think this is not only why you don't have an out gay man it's why you don't have like any imaginative cool shit in the sport like It took us, and I I will pipe our nonsense all day long, but it took us coming from the outside to do something relatively cool, not because we're like infallible and we're geniuses, although sure, but mainly because nobody else would even dare to do that. Like they look at what we're doing and they're like, they nobody understands it at all. Like some of them, the younger ones are like, oh, ah, okay. Like, but they are just like barely there, you know? Like, and this is six years in, like they just don't have the tools to really understand what is happening in the rest of the world because they've been talking to each other in this small little myopic pond, right? And conversely, the reason I think we have so many out gay women is because these agents don't really know how to sell them. And so nobody cares. (laughs) There it is, folks. And thus is the experience of being a woman on planet Earth in the year 2022. Oh, shit. That's it. You're right. Nobody fucking cares. They don't care. There was just no one can answer that. Yeah, no one. Because back to what I was saying, it really is a cis male. And then even further than that, a white cis male dominated world that we live in and therefore protecting them and their money around it. At all costs. At all costs. At all costs. And that is, I mean, listen. Oh my God, you're, I didn't even think about it this way. My brain is exploding because no, because truly it's like, I'm, I I mean, even I'm putting this all together and I'm talking to everybody and everyone's like, well, no, but women and like the WNBA, 
that poor Britney chick is in fucking in a straight up colony in yeah, it's probably like breaking rocks in Siberia. Like that's bad news. That's like that's a really bad. It's news. not funny, but it is so true. It is like, but if that had been any player from the Lakers, oh, they'd be LeBron James, they'd be like, we are going to get eight thousand SEAL Team Six motherfuckers repelling off of helicopters here tonight, like right now. So yeah, and no, you I mean, know what? You're so right. And the reality of it is is that it is fucking the patriarchy and it always is heteronormativity <laughs> and masculinity which is why at the end of the day god caitlin yes this is it yeah. i i've been struggling i've been spending the last couple of weeks you know obviously chatting with friends and it's been so amazing to like obviously talk to renee who is the gayest person in dennis you couldn't get more gay. she's literally got a goddamn rainbow flag on the side of her apartment like it's i'm gonna say apartment but it's really like her house like her wall her external facing wall is a rainbow flag it's like if anybody had any doubts about who lives here i'm also surprised that in my drunken stupor of being at her house i didn't somehow rip down that flag by mistake <laughs> not on purpose but by mistake but yeah no i mean and also with brian like listen like brian is doing major things he's the vice president of the eight like he yeah. is really really the one kind of holding this together but it's so interesting because when i ask him or when i ask nick like why do we see women and not men and it's like well women have been in the forefront of queerness in sports and it's because no one fucking advertisers don't fucking give a shit about women in sports and that is the answer and i was struggling i was struggling and it is it's such a bummer but the one thing i can say is like as someone who is like on the outside of tennis but like somehow now not on the outside you're but, like, right in the middle you've i'm right yourself and right in the heart of it like right exactly. in the middle of tennis <laughs> you're I'm in the like, mix i'm in the mix I'm in the mix for sure. I will say, like, I do think it is a bummer that we don't see more visibly out gay men, but also like queer people of color. I think what Racket is doing is so amazing that really is showing all the actual real people that are involved in tennis and that it's not just like manicured tennis grass tennis courts with like white people like dancing on top of them it is so important to show the different people that are not only on the pro tour but that support the sport because that's what i, I i've been in jest kind of saying like oh, i think it would be amazing to be a fucking hot gay guy on the pro tour think about the fandom there but i think you know it's i guess that's not really no one's thinking about it i mean these pride nights which i'm horrified i've never been to well i don't get invited to them they they're like it's like the like the city bank float at the pride parade it's like on one hand yeah on the other hand like no thanks you know what i'm saying like that's that's not really how i like want to manifest my homosexuality but if you look at the way the tennis has been marketed, how it's been sold, how it's been like sort of the value proposition of it, right? Like how do we market it? What kind of stories does it tell about itself? It's been really fixated on like two or three different narratives since like essentially like the late 80s, early 90s, which are like 
the grand slams and a bunch of people who have the most of something and which of these three dudes will end up with the most of the most of the something. And it's just so abstracted and not really for anybody. Whereas, you know, people ask us a lot, like, how did you guys come up with the idea to like, you know, make racket about like this larger world of tennis. It's like, we didn't invent it. It was already talked about this way. And then the sport contracted when like IMG and like Tony Godsick, who's Roger Federer's agent and like three brands all got together in a room. And you can imagine again, who was in that room and basically decided like where all the marketing dollars were going to go and newsflash. It wasn't like to women or like any of the cool sort of shaggy elements of the sport. It was like, let's make the pie smaller, but divvy it up bigger pieces among ourselves. Right. Whereas if you look at the seventies, like Bjorn Borg is going to like a cocaine orgy at studio 54 with Grace Jones. Like, we didn't invent that shit. That was already happening. We just forgot. Yeah. Fair For enough. Me, like tennis was like jorts and drinking water out of a tennis ball can and playing on the public courts with like a sawed off wooden racket with like all these neighborhood kids and my grandmother who like didn't look like some ballet esque, you know, elegant one handed backhand on manicured lawns through, you know, gliding through the air. Like, the aesthetics that I associate with the game, the stories that I associate with the game, the players aren't like four dudes, you know? And I think one thing that we've really been intentional about is just, again, showing that it has always been about all of these other things. It's just the lens got really narrow because it benefited like a few really rich guys to keep it really narrow for a while. And I'm thankful that all of these big name athletes are now leaving the sport and that's not a slight to any of them. It's just more like it's it resets the table so that yeah. you can have this bigger conversation. Just dropping wisdom on you, Liz. You, you really know, are. Like, I like don't even know. I don't I've even know. What brow, I've got lowbrow. You know, we can go in either direction. Whatever you like. And there you have it. Is tennis not grown up enough to handle the idea that a gay man can carry the torch? Is Billy Eichner correct? After all. And straight audiences cannot support a gay man in the leading role of tennis. Or is Billy Eichner just complaining and truly the marketing of both his film and tennis are just completely archaic and off? When Caitlin points out that men, and particularly advertisers, aren't bothered by queer women in tennis because, quite frankly, no one gives a shit about any woman of any kind in any sport, it all clicks until we start valuing the WNBA games like we do the Lakers games. And when we start valuing, you know, female tennis players, the way we worship Rafa, tennis like isn't going to change. And men are going to have to hide out on Grinder in the off season while the ladies reap the benefits of being hot and queer and professionally playing tennis. I don't know if this is gonna be the last of this conversation. Hopefully it's just the beginning. I'd love to hear what you think. Is tennis gay? <laughs>